You're listening to Drowning Verdict. Be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform. We don't want you to miss out on an important case or update. If you haven't already, pull the trigger and subscribe. What will a control freak like Brian Koberger be like in court, especially when his life hangs in the balance? Well, I'm talking about that next, along with some other interesting things for you to join me in the conversation. This is Chip Mahoney. This is Drowning Verdict. And this is my true crime podcast where I talk about fascinating cases just like this one. I go more in depth with the case. So thanks for joining me today. You might have found me on my TikTok where I've got clips of the show. But if it led you over to Crime Network, Crime with the Y, that's a good place to be. I'm there, other shows to discover, some big names as well, where you can just go through the latest episodes and listen without having to search for everything. Some of the best stuff that we've curated there, even take a comedy break from all the true crime, and that's on Crime Network, Crime with the Y. Otherwise, Drowning Verdict is featured on Spotify, and you can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts out there in the podverse, the known universe where all that content swims about. While well, I'm there to provide maybe a unique angle, a new idea, but definitely a topic of convo to keep the conversation going on open and active cases, important cases just like this one. And today I'm talking about Koberger's dominance as his downfall and some things I'm going to talk about for the upcoming court proceedings that might work against him. Other things as well, just to talk about such an interesting case. But if you've heard me before, and it wasn't just a drive-by, as I like to say, you're pulling the crossover SUV background, dropping the clip on me right now. I do appreciate that. Know that I try to get bigger and better for you each and every time, often to give you a reason for being here. And I've got some reasons today. But if you've checked out Crime Network that I've talked about, you're going to Get those true crime episodes. Um, you might like narrative retelling of stories different from what I've got, which is commentary on true crime. So you can go to Crime Network, bookmark it, and get the latest episodes. But also, you can take a comedy break because all the true crime, let's face it, it can just bring you down. And I know that works uh, the same way for me. If I'm just into it way too much, then I need a break from it. So you can take that comedy break with some really good shows there and uh, just mix it with the true crime and everything's all right. But another thing that I like to do um, in speaking about just picking myself up is to have a little bit of the magic mind, which is kind of like a shot of happiness in the morning. They bill it as the world's first productivity drink. And I just think it's a, a good supplement to have. So I've got some in the fridge, I've got my magic mind, and I have my coffee. So I don't need to be weaned off co coffee or anything like that. I just have one a day, no sugar. But then after that coffee, I like to chase it with that shot of magic mind, which is two ounces per bottle. And you can get it right now to try it out 20% off with the link in the description. 
But if you do the shipment, like the auto ship, then you can get, I think it's up to 56% off. So it's a really good deal. Magic Minds, good stuff. I love the taste. Um, so I like to have it after I finish the coffee and I just keep it in the fridge. It doesn't take up a lot of room there. And if you do the auto ship, you can just get going with uh, that flow state that they talk about at Magic Mind. So I really like it. It's part of my morning. It's part of my podcast. Magic Mind, thanks for supporting the show and being part of what I do. So uh, if you're listening, check out Magic Mind. Link in the description. So that's part of uh, something that I do to pick me up. But what's been bringing me down are a lot of these cases. Um, these are some of the biggest true crime cases that I've ever seen. Uh, within the last year or two, we've seen Murdoch in South Carolina. We've seen Lori Vallow in Idaho, and we're going to see Chad Daybell as well. And now Brian Koberger. That's coming to a theater near you. It's coming to Law and Crime Network, YouTube, wherever it's going to be, it's coming. And that's in October when that um, court case, that murder case, is set to kick off. But there have been some proceedings uh, so far where we've seen Mr. Koberger. And I got to say, um, this is a guy to observe. And I noticed in the latest proceeding for the speedy trial where he waived his right to having a speedy trial, um, I noticed his dominance on display, that his controlling nature is so um, so within the subtext of his aura. I mean, it just emanates from who he is in his eyes, in the way that he handles himself. And some of the things I'm going to talk about here when he's up against authority or authority figures where he has no business uh, being an authority himself. I think you could talk to psychologists out there, forensic psychologists and other people who have degrees, have backgrounds and experience and talk about Koberger. And they probably would talk about his dominance, his controlling nature, and some of the things I'm going to talk about here today. So I'm not an expert on that stuff. But I've got eyes and I can observe what's going on right now with this guy's body language, his mannerisms, and really how I could see that K-Bar knife in his hand as he entered that room um, last November. And he is accused of murdering four people. And I've said on Drowning Verdict that I don't believe he met any one of them in person. I think for one person, they all were killed and I think that he projected rejection upon one person or one girl and then figured even his best self couldn't measure up, even 2,500 miles, even 100 pounds, losing that weight, going after a grad degree. You know what? It's not good enough. So his controlling nature, I think that he focused on one of these people, found out about her online, TikTok a window into their lives. And I think he crossed that boundary and stepped into their lives. And I think that he was in that property before those murders took place. That's why he was able to get in and out in about 16 minutes and kill four people. That's a record. That's a record, especially with a knife murder and that kind of brutality. So his domineering nature, his controlling nature, I think you've seen that 
in some of the newscasts and the articles out there. How about the time that he was stopped by uh, a police officer outside of his campus there at Washington State University? It might have been on campus, but I don't think it was campus police. I think it was a regular cop there in Pullman. She had pulled him over, and I think it was probably a month before the murders took place. And yeah, he was compliant, but he didn't settle for her answers. And you could see him try to flip the script. If you've seen that video, he tries to flip the script and change the power balance. Even though he's the one that got pulled over, he's not a cop and he has no legal authority. He, he did something wrong, but he challenges her on everything. And I, and I do think he gets off on the ticket. I think the, the cop did have a little power stripped from her because she didn't know that she was dealing with a potential psycho who was going to knife four people about a month later. Um, so that's a window into his domineering self. He was also pulled over on the highway um, when he was traveling that 2,500 miles back to Pennsylvania over the Christmas time break last year. And he was eventually caught by the feds and flown back to uh, Idaho to face these charges. But just recently he was in court to talk about the speedy trial or the right to have a speedy trial. And he wanted to waive that. He could have just said yes or no to a simple question. But something that I picked up on is when the judge was asking him um, about this, he used the word absolutely. And he just blurted that out. He sat up in his chair and that was a kind of a domineering uh, pose that he took. And, and that's a word that he used, which as an author, I kind of picked up on those words and the word that he used. And I looked at the subtext or I felt what was being conveyed. And it was as if he was trying to say, I'm going to prove absolutely how I'm innocent and everybody else is wrong. Now he was there just for that proceeding of a speedy trial. Do you want it or not? You have a legal right to it. Are you denying that right? And we're going through these motions, you could call them. And he just sits up in a seat and says, absolutely, that he's going to have the trial. He's, he's going to waive the speedy trial because he absolutely is innocent. So therefore, I could see that as controlling. Even with an authority figure being in front of a judge, it's not yes or no. It's other words that he uses because he tries to flip the script. He tries to change the balance of power in the conversation or what's going on. I've seen that with his interactions with the police and also being in court. So when you have someone that I perceive as being a control freak, somebody who is always wanting to be in charge, even though He's not the primary figure, the primary person who has the or holds the authority. For instance, in his grad program, he was one of the assistants to the professor there. So he was in control of the class, but he wasn't the professor himself. He was a grad student. And yet everybody that he was dealing with, the other students in the course, they didn't like working with him. And that's well documented. So that's an indicator 
an indicator of how domineering he is in a position where he doesn't hold any authority. So I kind of feel when he goes into a courtroom with his lawyer or lawyers on his side and he gets his opportunities, that his domineering personality is really going to come to the forefront. And I think that's going to maybe hurt him in the long run because I tend to see that in this trial, something where the death penalty is going to be on the hook and possibly, believe it or not, the firing squad. That's a possibility here because I know that the parents have talked about that. Um, and it is an option there in Idaho. But when death is on the hook, that I think that the subtext or what emanates from Brian Koberger in front of the jury, in front of the judge, in front of the people that are watching on YouTube, Law and Crime, or wherever it's going to be, that they are going to see a guy who loves to be in control, yet he hasn't earned the right of that control. Meaning that he could be in control of the grad uh, student program there, but he himself is a student. He's not the professor. He could be in control of the situation of the traffic ticket, yet he's the guy who's being blamed for the ticket. He's not the cop. He could be in court and he could be talking about life or death, but he's the guy that has life or death on his neck. So in these cases or in these instances where it's about him, he tries to flip the script that he's in charge. And I think that can really, I guess you could say from, or I would say from a writing standpoint, if you're writing something, it's the subtext under the words. It's what comes through in the subconscious to the reader or comes through in the subconscious to the viewer. And so I witnessed that and I noticed it with uh, the recent proceedings where he showed up with his lawyer talking about the speedy trial and that he wanted to waive his right to a speedy trial. And he absolutely wanted to have a regular trial with a jury and go through everything because I'm innocent. I didn't do it. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Well, that may be good for him to say or good for him to think. But as I say that, I think in the subtext or what will emanate through him is people will begin to see how domineering he is. And when you pair that without having the authority to be dominant, then you're talking about somebody who can be uh, a killer, somebody who could do these crimes, somebody who could project himself onto these people, and he could project rejection. As I've said, I don't know if that's a psychological term. I've just said that he's kind of sabotaged himself to, to think that he could never be somebody to measure up to the person that he stalked and killed. Um, that group of people uh, would have turned him away, just like maybe people did in high school, even after he lost 100 pounds, even after he got his degree and traveled 2,500 miles to get his grad degree and was really working his way up in, in college and uh, building his, his professional background nothing would be good enough. And so therefore, I think that at a certain point, he found one of the girls, found out about her. Maybe he did see her at a restaurant or something around town. I don't know. But he started to stalk her online. And because those people, just like anybody out there, uh, opens a window into their lives through social media, I think these people did a lot of it. 
and he could see the property. He could see inside it. He could learn about their lives. He could probably see their bedrooms. But I do think he crossed a boundary one night to go into the property when a party was happening and just kind of case the joint. He just kind of crossed that line. The persona and the shadow, I've talked about that before, uh, where a lot of these killers, when they do the killing, they cross a boundary. And as I said before this guy was caught, I said the killer came from Washington State in Pullman, likely crossed over into Idaho, which we learned was only about 10 to 15 miles or minutes away. So it was rather easy for him to do that. So crossing a boundary, stepping into a new territory in order to kind of feel that exhilaration of possibly committing the crime. And when he projects rejection and says, well, I'll never measure up, but there's something that I can do. I can take your life or I can take multiple lives. Um, Is there any greater control than that? Is there any greater control to have over any person than to take their own life? So that's for the state to do in cases of a death penalty that they have that control and they have that right to take a life. But in the case of murder, in the case of what we will be witnessing in court in October, uh, coming soon to a theater near you, to Netflix, long crime, wherever we're going to see it, we're going to see that dominance. We're going to see that on display. And as I've said, that's the reason I've said, and I just think it this way because of what I've seen with this guy, what I know about the case is that he latched onto one person and for one person, they all were killed. Uh, The boyfriend who was in the house might've been collateral damage. I don't think the killer knew that the boyfriend was there. And that's why I think some words were exchanged at that point. Um, And the guy was knifed to death And the killer took the path right out uh, the way they had probably entered the property previously, not on the same night, but previously. I've said that the killer, which I do think is Brian Koberger, had stepped into the property when a party was happening at a previous time, at a different time, and just kind of slipped in and kind of felt what it was like to be there. And I do think Case the Joint and knew where everything was, or at least most of the things were in the layout and could really kind of uh, put the rest of the puzzle together by looking at everything online through TikTok or any other social media channel that they made open as a window into our lives. No security, uh, no thought of anything bad happening to them. They're living their lives. They're having a great time in college. And who would ever think this could happen? And so that's what I think did happen. So when Koberger is in court and he's trying to get his point across, however he's going to do that, whether he's on the stand, however that works, I think it's going to go against him. I think people are going to see his dominant personality that's so extreme that he feels that he has a right to dominance without any authority to back it up. Because it's one thing to have authority and be dominant where you have that badge, you have that uh, teaching position, you have that election that puts you in the judge's seat and therefore you can dominate because you've been elected to do so. You have the authority bestowed upon you. This guy's got no authority, but he wants it and he wants it desperately. 
And that's what I see with Brian Koberger. And that's what I think set this thing in motion where he found the person that I do think he wanted a relationship with or wanted to meet or maybe be part of what they were doing. But at some point he felt being rejected just as he was in high school. That's well-documented. But when you lose a hundred pounds, when you get your college degree, when you go 2,500 miles to the West, get into your grad degree program, start controlling other people. And it's not good enough from there. Then I think he shut down. And then I think he took that extra step to cross that boundary and said, look what I can do now. And the ultimate control is taking someone's life. That's what I think he did. And I think that's going to shine through in the subtext. It'll emanate through his pores because I've already witnessed that so far in every interaction. Even when the cop pulled him over on the ride back to his home in Pennsylvania with his father, the way that Koberger leaned in, the way that he just stared down the police officer on that video and just got right into it, that's not somebody that complies with anything. He's not compliant. He's the opposite of that, but he's got no authority to be dominant. He's just really good at flipping the script, talking himself out of a corner and trying to make it something that that it isn't. In the case of the police or the one that uh, pulled him over at Washington State, he was able to get out of that ticket, but he's not going to be able to get out of this ticket. I really don't think that's going to happen. How do you feel about that? Do you think that this guy is so dominant it's going to work against him that people will see his true colors, what he's really like, whether he's on the stand or just how these other proceedings go, I think it's going to make for quite a thing. And I do wonder if cameras will be allowed in court. I kind of feel that they will be. Um, But these are big cases. These are enormous cases and I haven't seen anything like it. And these, these, you can just go down the line, you can go Lori Vallow to Murdoch and you're going to have Koberger, and there's probably going to be something else coming because it's just crazy. Well, on this episode, I'm out on DV. I'll have more for you, but let me know if uh, you like what I got to say in this episode. And thanks for checking it out today. Link in the description for The Magic Mind, which I've talked about, and also checking out Crime Network if you want to hear more of my podcast, which you can get anywhere, by the way, but other podcasts as well, curated for you each and every day, the best stuff there in Crime Network. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.